0: Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary. This is episode 348 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. This episode is called Gettin' Probed. It is February 25, 2022, and this is Jen. Now, this is going to start with a lot of articles about different regulators uh, investigating Activision Blizzard. And one of these came from the Wall Street Journal, and I didn't see it before our previous show was recorded on the 18th but it's from the 17th and you know it's the Wall Street Journal and it's its title of this article is Regulators Widen Activision Blizzard Probes Over Workplace Issues and I'll just read you some of that. Federal and state regulators have widened their investigations into how Activision Blizzard Inc's leadership handled workplace misconduct claims according to documents and people familiar with the probes as the video game giant works to complete a planned $75 billion sale to Microsoft Corp. The California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, that's the D. Uh, D-E-F-E-H. A state watchdog agency has subpoenaed Activision's directors related to the company's handling of the workplace issues, according to people familiar with the matter. It has also subpoenaed police departments in the Los Angeles area for any records they have related to longtime Chief Executive Bobby Kotek and 18 other current or former Activision employees, according to people... Uh, to the people and to documents viewed by the Wall Street Journal. The department's move represents an escalation of its original complaint against Activision, which was made public in July. That complaint alleged sexual harassment and gender pay disparity across the company's roughly 10,000 employees, but didn't specifically mention Mr. Kotek except regarding his salary or Activision's directors. Activision has disputed the department's allegations, and an Activision spokeswoman called the subpoenas to police departments and extraordinary fishing expedition. Mhm that's the kind of stuff you say when you don't have a good answer for them. Separately, the Securities and Exchange Commission has sent an additional subpoena to Activision as part of its investi- the investigation it launched last year into the company's handling of sexual harassment allegations. The SEC as part of that investigation subpoenaed several senior Activision executives, the journal reported in September, meaning the Wall Street Journal, including Mr. Kotek who has led Activision for more than 30 years. Activision has said it is co Operating with the SEC probe. The more recent subpoena, viewed by the journal, asked for records and communications from a much longer list of current and former executives than the SEC previously sought and dating back farther to 2016. Both regulatory moves appear to have come after Santa Monica, California-based Activision producer of hit game franchises, including World of Warcraft and Candy Crush, struck a deal to be acquired for $75 billion in cash by Microsoft. The SEC subpoena is dated January 18, the day the two companies announced the deal. A subpoena from the California regulator to the Los Angeles Police Department is dated two days later. Uh, Activision has moved in Los Angeles County Superior Court to quash the agency's subpoena to depart to police departments. All court records show I don't really care about the rest of what they're saying about that. A spokeswoman for the Department of Fair Employment and Housing didn't respond to requests from comment for comment on Activision's assertion. Microsoft's move to acquire Activision will significantly expand the software giant's video game capabilities. Mr. Kotek isn't expected to remain at Microsoft after the acquisition closes, which I know a lot of people were concerned that he, he'll be there afterwards. It seems re- repeated over and over by credible news sites that Kotek is gone as soon as this merger is done. And that is going to happen, uh, the companies anticipate that will be in 2023. The journal has reported, citing with people familiar with those plans the u.s federal trade commission will be reviewing the deal the journal has reported and then it's kind of a background which we pretty much already know and then i've already probably read about so that's kind of a lot and i will link this article and everything else i talk about into the show notes at shatteredsoulstone.com if you want to read the whole thing there's a blog from game developer and it's titled report dfeh sec expand their investigations into activision blizzard And it's referencing the Wall Street Journal. So if you don't want to read the whole Wall Street Journal thing, you can read the game developer thing, which is a summary of it, basically. Then we have CNN Business, which I know is not everybody's favorite site, but they do get things right once in a while. And I think they have this right. So this is titled Microsoft's Blockbuster Activision Blizzard Deal Could Raise Uncomfortable Challenges for U.S. Antitrust Enforcers, written on February 18. Um, So I'll read you a little bit of that. It's been about two decades since Microsoft and the U.S. government went head to head in one of the country's biggest ever antitrust battles. In the years since, Microsoft has managed to mostly stay off the radars of lawmakers and antitrust regulators, even as scrutiny of other tech giants has ramped up but with its plan to acquire popular video game developer blizzard activision blizzard for nearly 70 billion dollars microsoft may be thrust firmly into the, back into the antitrust spotlight the Blockbuster deal would secure Microsoft's spot among the most dominant global players in gaming alongside Sony and Tencent, and it would expand the tech company's first-party content library to include some of the most popular titles in gaming, including World of Warcraft and Call of Duty. Industry watchers say it's a risky time for Microsoft to try to push through what would be the largest acquisition in its history. The head of the nation's antitrust enforcement agency, Federal Trade Commission uh, Chair Lena Kahn, has pledged to crack down on companies consolidating power and reducing competition in a range of industries, especially technology. Activision Blizzard stock is currently trading nearly 15% below the acquisition share price, a possible sign of investor skepticism about the deal going through. Still, Microsoft isn't the only one who faces a risk if the FTC does decide to challenge that deal. It could also present some uncomfortable challenges for Khan and the agency by highlighting limitations in their ability to tackle a new era of potential antitrust issues raised across the raised by the tech industry and it goes on from there but that's kind of the main idea then we have also on february 18 the verge uh has a article titled read exactly how microsoft's 16.87 billion dollar deal for activision blizzard came together a new sec filing has a detailed timeline so yeah there's a timeline down here it's Kinda long. This is a rather long article. It looks like it was updated with a correction in uh, a day after this thing was published. But I'll read you a little bit here. And it talks about the acquisition that Microsoft and Activision Blizzard hope will go through. That and you know we already know about that. The article from The Verge here uh, also mentions that California's lawsuit accuses Activision Blizzard of creating a culture of quote constant sexual harassment. and explosive Wall Street Journal report wrote about a while back and there's labor protest protests from the call of duty workers going on just to summarize greatly we know uh, about the Activision Blizzard potential deal which probably will go through, but who knows, right? The initial conversation about an acquisition happened between Spencer and Kotek on November nineteenth, just three days after the Wall Street Journal's report about the Activision Blizzard CEO, and a single day after Spencer said uh, told Xbox staff he was deeply troubled about Activision Blizzard's behavior. Uh, it might have even come up as part of the same conversation. So there's a little bit more there, and uh, the next day. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella was apparently more explicit, indicating that Microsoft was interested in exploring a strategic combination with Activision Blizzard. Yeah, this one also confirms that Kotek is expected to leave the company if the deal goes through. And then there's this like really long thing here from uh, I think it's Document Cloud or something that was posted by The Verge. It's pretty long. It's got a lot of words. It's got a lot of pages. It doesn't load very well right now. Um, But this from the Securities and Exchange Commission and they have like a timeline in here. It's kind of hard to read so I'm going to just point you towards it basically if you want to get with all the details. I think I've been keeping up with as much as what was public since the start of all of these shenanigans. But um, yeah, you know it's, it's a court thing. They're listed very wordy and have specific phrases they have to use and there's oh gosh this thing is so big it's got a table of contents people and it looks like you can click on each part that you want to see or maybe they just they highlighted like every other section and just yeah um i'll I'll put it in the the show notes for everybody who wants to check this out but it seems very long very detailed and very serious and that cannot be good for activision blizzard or maybe even microsoft connectedly because of the possible merger IGN wrote on February 25th, Microsoft approached Activision Blizzard about an acquisition just three days after the Bobby Kotek report, which we've kind of said, it's from the Wall Street Journal. And I'm not sure if there's anything new in this other than that, but if you want a shorter version of what was written out uh, by the Verge or the document cloud thing, it might give you some information. And then on the 24th, Polygon wrote Activision Blizzard shareholder sues over Microsoft sale. That's pretty new. The shareholder is suing Activision Blizzard and its board of directors. And here's what that's about. An Activision Blizzard shareholder filed a lawsuit against a game publisher and its board of directors over alleged Securities Exchange Act violations in its proposed plan for sale its sale to Microsoft. The lawsuit filed by shareholder Kyle Watson was filed in California on Thursday. Watson's lawyers called Activision Blizzard's plan for sale outlined in a recent Securities and Exchange Commission's SEC proposal, quote, unfair for a number of reasons, end quote. One of which, lawyers said, is that the board is looking to, quote, procure for themselves and senior managers significant and immediate benefits, end quote. The lawsuit calls into question potential conflicts of interest, specifically that the deal... is not in the best interest of Activision Blizzard, Watson, nor company stockholders and will produce lucrative benefits for the Activision Blizzard's officers and directors. It also referenced the golden parachute that some executives like CEO Bobby Kotek would receive should he be fired. The SEC filing called a 14A includes information necessary before shareholders vote in agreement. Now, for those that don't know the golden parachute what this means is you have a high up in a company any company any huge company that maybe wants to leave or maybe has done some things where the company wants them to leave and so instead of just saying you're fired goodbye they give this guy you know whatever uh, whatever he was still owed on his salary they give him whatever that he gets to keep the stock that he's got generally speaking and there could be other amounts of money given to whoever that person is And this basically sets them up so that they don't have to struggle after being fired or leaving this company and, you know, whatever. Sometimes these people have already got kind of an idea of where they're going to go to get another job like that. So that's what it is. It's something that is definitely not offered to regular employees and therefore kind of sucks because it's the workers that do all the work, not the CEOs that sit in an office and I don't know what they do exactly. Make mergers, I guess. You know, something like that. So back to the article. Uh, elsewhere in the filing, Watson's lawyers allege that Activision Blizzard's February 18 SEC filing is, quote, material materially misleading and incomplete, end quote, violating the Exchange Act. It calls out missing information in the SEC filing relating to the, quote, ad hoc committee, end quote, that ran the sales process, as well as information about, quote, post-transaction employment and other relevant data. Watson is looking for the court to order Activision Blizzard to release a new SEC preliminary proxy statement that includes more facts and no quote untrue statements end quote should the proposed transaction go through Watson is looking for quote recissory damages and I'm not exactly sure what it means but it sounds like they want to get something out of this anyway, even if it goes through. Um, there is a, uh, from Scribd, an embedded thing of the court case. Plaintiff is Kyle Watson, and the defendants are Activision, Blizzard, Inc., and a bunch of people that are on the board, including Bobby Kotek, and yeah, so there's that. That's in there. And then there's an update on this article from February 25th. A second shareholder lawsuit has been filed against Activision Blizzard and its board of directors, this time in a New York court. The plaintiff Shiva Steen is bringing similar complaints to the court, specifically that Activision Blizzard's proxy disclosures aren't good enough. Of note regarding Steen, or is it Stein? It might be Stein. Um, However, is that she's reportedly one of the most quote prolific, end quote, securities plaintiffs in the United States, second only to the Securities and Exchange Commission itself, according to Reuters. Legal data company Lex Machina, or Machina, uh, reported in 2021 that Stein filed 124 securities lawsuits from 2018 and 2020 half of the lawsuits she's filed in 2021 have been dismissed voluntarily Reuters said Stein's lawyer told Reuters that it was because the quote defendant corporations made corrective disclosures that more for fully informed public shareholders so that's two people that are um, shareholders that are pretty mad right now about that in other news that uh, has nothing to do with the whole merger and lawsuits and that kind of stuff we have an article from the verge and it's titled Epic Games is making hundreds of temp testers into full employees with benefits. That's wonderful, that's really good. I'll read you a little bit of this. Epic Games is hiring its US-based contingent workers full-time and with benefits, Epic confirmed to The Verge. The Fortnite developer is extending the offer to quality assurance QA testers as well as other, quote, eligible, end quote, contract-based employees. The news first surfaced in an employee-facing memo obtained by The Verge. In the memo, the company writes it will, quote, offer full-time at-will employment to eligible U.S.-based contingent workers, and that, quote, Many of those offers will be effective April 4th, 2022, end quote. But it also notes that some workers won't receive the offer, citing, quote, there are a few exceptions in which it makes sense for both the worker and EPIC to maintain contingent worker status, end quote. I have no idea what that means. I know what a contingent worker is. It's like a contract worker kind of thing where you don't know if your contract's going to be re-signed or not after whatever time frame it was set for. Uh, it could be that. Other than that, I I don't really know what what that like who would fit into this because I don't I've never worked for a video game company so I have no idea. But somebody out there reading this is probably going oh hey that's me you know. <laughs> so um, to continue, Epic spokesperson person Elka looks that's the name Elka looks uh, told The Verge that the game developer will hire quote a few hundred of its contractors and that quote most but not all. Our quality assurance QA testers looks confirmed that all the workers will be eligible for the company's U.S. employee benefits plan and will also be directly employed by Epic Games. The studio currently contracts out QA testers and other workers through temp agencies, including Eastridge, Hayes and Nextstaff. And the company is still looking to hire contingent workers for short term needs, um, but there wasn't any information about what that's going to be like. And then there's some background stuff dealing with like Raven and and things like that. So that's a good thing. It's always good when you have like a job that's more settled with actual benefits instead of being, I kind of work for this company, but they're not giving me anything. And I don't know if my job's going to continue. You know, it's a lot more like protection for the workers. And we need that in today's times and probably always. So that's a good thing that Epic Games is doing. Bethesda has uh, released some information titled Sunsetting the Bethesda.net Launcher and Migrating to Steam. Now, if you're playing a lot of games through that launcher, you probably want to know about this. And if you don't have a Steam account yet, you might want to make one. Here's some of the uh, details from this thing. Uh, On February 22nd, Bethesda wrote, We're saying goodbye to the Bethesda.net launcher this year. Starting in early April, you'll be able to migrate your games and wallet to your Steam account. For more details on what this process will look like, read on. We're saying goodbye to the Bethesda.net launcher this year. We would like to thank you for your support and assure you that all of your games are safe. If you're not playing PC games through the Bethesda.net launcher, then your work is done here. Thanks for reading. If you do have the games, though, the Bethesda.net launcher, don't worry. In early April, you will be able to migrate your games and wallet to your Steam account. For more details on what this process will look like read on. You will have plenty of time to plan and begin migrating your Bethesda.net library to your Steam account. The migration to Steam will include your game library and wallet, meaning you will not lose anything from your Bethesda.net account. Many games will also have their saves migrated with a few requiring some manual transfers. For games that require it, you will still use your Bethesda.net login to sign in to play. Your Bethesda.net account will not be lost and will still be accessible on our website on Bethesda's website and in game and we will continue supporting all Bethesda.net accounts with our future titles so that's kind of what that's about there's um, some other next steps with a few more details and they have a Fallout 76 specific FAQ on Fallout.com about how that's going to work and then there's some frequently asked questions so if that's relevant to you you might want to check the show notes and see you know how that's going to go Xbox has posted a tweet on the 23rd of February that says creating on Twitch is as easy as one, two, three step one, sit down step two, turn on your Xbox step three, go live more details here and happy streaming. So here's what they're talking about with that. Starting today, starting the 23rd Xbox and Twitch are teaming up to make live streaming from your Xbox easier than ever. You can now access Twitch directly from the Xbox guide and manage your setup in a few simple steps. And so it's uh, kind of walking you through it. So if you have an Xbox Series X or S or an Xbox One console, you navigate to the Capture and Share tab, and then there's you click Live Streaming. You'll need to link your Twitch account by scanning the QR code with an iOS or Android mobile device, or navigating to the URL, or whether your PC or uh, either your PC or mobile device. Once your account is linked, select Go Live now, and that seems to be all you need to do. Which is pretty interesting because I've tried to do, like I have an Xbox S and I've been playing Diablo 2 Resurrected on it and other games. But that one more so than the rest since the game came out. And it's really, I find it difficult to know when to push the button for to, to tell it to take a short little clip or a longer clip. And sometimes it doesn't match up right and i find it kind of frustrating and it also goes like if you take a screenshot or if you take a clip it goes into your like it it puts it all in one place for you through the xbox system like through the xbox app so it's for me this is complex because i have a mac so i can't play you know xbox like if you have a pc i assume you could just play some of these games on the on the pc but i don't have a pc so i have to play diablo II resurrected through an xbox and then to go through and try to get the screenshots into my computer where i can do something with them it just takes forever but if i were to start streaming again which i don't foresee happening very soon at all because it's pollen season and i have huge allergies so that's not going to happen like i'm not announcing i'm streaming again but if i were to someday decide to do that perhaps this setup might work for me and it's very simply described, so if that's something that you want to do, you know, if you want to play your Xbox games on, on Twitch and have, uh, have it be recorded or whatever, then there you go. There's a way to do it now. And then the big news, I think, this time around is the information from Blizzard titled Diablo Immortal Closed Beta Learnings. Uh, It's written on February 23rd. And um, there's a whole lot of stuff in here, so I'm just going to go over... I'm not going to read every word, but I'll try to get the key points here. Part of this is written by Wyatt Chang, who is the game director of Diablo Immortal. And that's, you know, specifically what we're talking about here, is Diablo Immortal. Here's uh, a little bit from that. Following this playtest, our team continues to make substantial progress towards getting the game into everyone's hands. We're still planning for release in 2022. And today we'd like to share what we learned from a closed beta leading to critical changes around the social aspect of the game, raids, in-game purchases, a cycle of strife overhaul, and more. And then he hands it off to, um, I know he starts talking about some of the general updates. So here's some general updates. Social and group play improvements. Diablo Immortal is an MMO and an important part of any MMO is the friendships you form and the sense of community you belong in. Your game's social communities start with parties and we want to promote party formation between like-minded players to complete shared goals. Bounties were one system that led to a lot of group play, but also some challenges in beta. They're repeatable, randomly selected quests that you can complete in quick succession, earning bonus awards rewards for every four you turn in. During the closed beta, we received feedback that a lot of players who got assigned dungeon bounties felt like they were forced to group in order to complete them. Groupmates receiving that player often wanted to do multiple dungeon runs and would be disappointed when a player immediately left the party after completing their bounty. They're going to adjust the bounty so that they're exclusively solo, and they're looking into making the Shadows contracts more flexible in the future. They want to provide concrete incentives for grouping, but also want to empower you to choose whether you want to play all solo or all group content and I think that's a good idea because there are people that only want to play in groups and that's it and they're not interested in playing solo there are people that only want to play solo and don't really want to get into groups and this means that the changes would let you pick whatever one works best for you so that's always a good idea is to have options in that kind of thing The last thing you want is, you know, for someone to join your group and not really want to be there. Uh, And it's just doing it because of, you know, trying to finish a bounty or whatever. There's going to be raid improvements, and they are excited to see so many people joining the Heliquary, which is the thing that you come in, and it's a big chest, and it's like last man standing. It's that kind of thing, and uh, I think it's something like that. It's close to that. I'm looking at a little video they posted to help you see what the heck that is. But there's a boss in there to fight, and... Um, Our intention is to release one new Heliquary boss every month, but in order to provide more granularity and a better sense of progression, we are going to also provide multiple difficulty levels for each boss. During beta, a number of you expressed feedback that the gap in difficulty between the bosses, LaSalle and Vidath, was too large. With this change, we think the Heliquary will remain rewarding to all types of players, but also choose the difficulty gap for those who may feel too daunted to play this content. They also heard a lot of requests for better grouping, matchmaking and raid management tools and they're going to do that. The raid UI in the closed beta was a first pass implementation and you could expect visual and functionary improvements in the future. There's going to be um, regarding the battle pass and in-game end- purchases feedback Wyatt Chang wrote: Our goal has always been to keep Diablo's core gameplay, killing demons and getting gear, accessible to all, regardless of whether players opt to engage with in-game purchases or not. Purchases in our game are completely optional and should not detract from your gameplay experience. During the closed beta, we received a lot of feedback on our Battle Pass and what and other in-app purchases. We are pleased that the Battle Pass is resonating well, and many of you are finding the purchase to be a good value. However, we saw that the Boon of Plenty was not as well received. We're evaluating ways to improve the Boon of Plenty so it feels more valuable and worthwhile. And they also saw frustration around Legendary Gems and their impact on alt play in the closed beta. Reading your feedback, this system felt like it forced many of you to be committed to a single character rather than splitting your focus across multiple characters, and they're working on a solution for that. There's going to be, um, they're talking about controller support. And there's an update on that. Last year, the community pleaded for controller support. We were happy to oblige, and the closed beta introduced a handful of compatible controller devices. Our goal is for the controller's presence to be detected the moment the game is launched. We want to handle connecting and disconnecting your controller more seamlessly and make controllers work in all in-game menus. And I think this is great because it's good for people that have disabilities that make it so that they're... Hands don't work as well as other players. Like I have fibromyalgia and it's a neurological disease. It's also an immune disease, yay me, right? My allergies are too. Um, And when I'm having a really high pain day, it's hard for me to manipulate my hands in ways that you would need to for video games. So if I'm trying to press a button or I'm trying to tap a certain spot on, on a tablet, you know, to play Diablo Immortal or something like this, I'm gonna be slower, I'm gonna miss, I'm gonna have more mistakes, and my hands are gonna wear out a whole lot quicker than typically. So I could play a video game for like an hour, and then I gotta stop because of the way my hands are. It's just the way it is. It's not a complaint, it's nothing that can be fixed. I don't you know, don't feel sorry for me. This is just the way it is. But there's others like me out there that can possibly do a little better on a controller because it's something you can either stick on your desk, you know, and use in conjunction with like a a tablet, or you can hold it and keep your hands in one position mostly and hit buttons. And that's gonna be a lot easier for people like me. So I like that they're gonna use controllers for that because that might make it more possible for, you know, people like me with that type of disability to actually play longer. So I think that's a good idea that they're going into that. Just, you know, in in case you don't know anybody who might need that, I'm one of those people that need that. And then there's something called warband improvements. I don't know what warbands are, um, but I'm going to uh, read a little here. They're going to expand warbands to be groups of eight players, and they're going to look at additional features to really make a warband feel like a close circle of friends. Um, So there's that. There's system update improvements, and this is all written by Chris Zierhut. I'll leave you to read some of that stuff. It has to do with, uh, we implemented a new end game gear system to enable you to fill your secondary gear slots with set items. When you wore a sufficient number of items from the same set, your character received an additional bonus. Goes on from there. An additional concern we heard was many of you completed a set but didn't always equip it. Some of you found the set sometimes wasn't worth wearing because some of the pieces were found at such a low paragon level that the loss of stats on the item were not sufficiently offset by the set bonus, so they're going to try to fix that. There's a Circle of Strife overhaul, and from what I've read of this, it's the change is it's not going to result revolve under, around dark houses and a final immortal group. Instead, it's going to be based on clans competing with one another. So, uh, to enrich the social experience, we're empowering your clan with the ability to become a dark clan. Forming dark houses wasn't very good for long-term social relationships. When every end of cycle occurred, it caused a jarring upheaval to your social system and network of players. Now, after a player's clan is made, that clan's members will join the shadows together. If that player's dark clan succeeds in besting the other dark clans and overthrowing the immortals, then that winning dark clan will become the immortal clan clan. Players in an immortal clan will stay together as a unit and can invite up to two other dark clans to become immortal allied clans. When the the immortal's reign ends, as all reigns must, the immortal clan will return to being a normal clan as the cycle begins anew. So this way you're not losing your friends because you're uh, group didn't make it all the way to the top and therefore was, you know, like disbanded by the game or something, I assume. So that's better because then you can keep your friends in one place and all play together and organize to play. Hey, we're all going to play at this time on this night, you know, that sort of thing. And you don't have to go round them up again for the next cycle because they'll still be there in whatever clan you're in. So I think that's pretty good. There's a lot of stuff about World Paragon improvements in there, and I'll leave you to read that and that's everything from this uh what they learned from the closed beta so everybody that gave you know some feedback on that i think helped improve the game some more and that's what you want from a closed beta pure diablo has a uh, post here called itemization in diablo 4 uh it was written by someone named vang on february 17 and there's a looks like um screenshots of what they think the itemization is going to look like i'm not sure where they're getting it from uh generally speaking and i cannot be sure that that's what's happening here it's stuff that's come from things that blizzard has released or the diablo team has released because i'm seeing a lot of stuff that says you know not final and i know i've seen those in i can't remember if it was during blizzcon line or not but some of those things seem to be from that so it's kind of like you know dived into it and told you what those are and what this person thinks about it, so that's kind of interesting. There is a company they're on Twitter called I Am Eight Bit, and they create premium tangible things, according to their bio. Now I saw this because Pez Radar retweeted it, and I Am Eight Bit has a picture here, and it says pre-orders for the open edition 2xLP version of the Diablo 2 Resurrected soundtrack are on, are also live now. So that's one of the things that they're offering. There's a picture here, of you know, like you could see bright red vinyl sticking out of some album covers and there's some artwork uh, on the table in front of it, you know, with different classes and things like that just drawn up. And so you can get that at uh, the 8-bit website. And there's another one in there somewhere. I'm hoping this takes me directly to the thing. Yeah. So the Diablo II Resurrected 2X LP vinyl soundtrack is $40. It's um, two LPs. And red vinyl features music from the Diablo t- from Diablo II Resurrected. The music is by Matt Ullman. Al- album art is by someone named Bill Billis, and album design is by Ryan Birkenhoff. So there's that. And then there's another one. And this one is pre-orders for the three LP Diablo II Resurrected Deluxe box set are also live. This edition is limited to just 1500 or 1500 and includes a bonus 7-inch Pentagram 45 adapter, screen-printed cork and rubber record mat, and more. There's a picture of all this stuff, so I'll put this in the show notes. And if you're really into vinyl and Diablo II, this might be a thing for you to try to go get. I watched this video today, and it was posted by, I believe the name is pronounced Zitmus. And there's a YouTube video that Zitmus posted titled, World First Level 5 Smiter vs. Uber Diablo. It is a Diablo clone that he fought with a level 5, looks like a Crusader, I think. And it was just mesmerizing, like, how that worked. Now, the video is... I think edited to show just mostly the main battle and all of the little like potions that he had to pick up and where he put them and how this all worked together but he had another link to like the longer video I think somewhere in the YouTube channel his YouTube channel so it's kind of neat it's really kind of neat it's uh, Diablo clone uber Diablo and uh, just check it out it might be you know it might be something you want to try I think think if I remember correctly from memory I may be wrong that he's got a discord and there might be information about that build in it uh, so if you're in if you want to try that there's there's ways you can maybe try to copy what he did and um, he also thinks he's the first to kill the Diablo clone on like a level 5 character in Diablo 2 resurrected so that's kind of cool that's a really cool achievement if so and he doesn't know he said that if anyone knew someone that had done it before him to let him know so You can probably go post a comment on his YouTube if you want to. And uh, Echo Hack has a video posted on YouTube on uh, February 23rd. It is a full one hour complete breakdown of a blog post that he did. And the blog post is called Beta Learnings and this is about Diablo Immortal. So if you want to know his opinions on it uh, and you have an hour to spend or you can watch it for a bit and then come back to it, which I do sometimes if I'm having like a really bad health day and I can't focus, I'll come back to a longer video and watch it some more. So there's that if you want to know everything that Echo Heck thought about the Diablo Immortal beta. And you probably know who Carbot is. It's the company that makes those little animations and I've been mentioning the ones that they do that have to do with diablo games they did a diablo 2 thing recently they're also selling merch they've sold some stuffed animals and things like that and they have a picture they put they put this on twitter and it is an older gentleman holding a book standing next to a bookshelf and he is wearing a shirt that has a an open door and a little guy in front of it drawn in the style of Carbot animation art and it says d2 loading t-shirt available pray that you don't die while you're loading and it's at their store and if you want it you can go get that it's kind of cute and because um, their animation, I think is cute and funny and you know, it's really neat and it's called joining game. It is a premium tee and it is $27 and 99 cents in a variety of sizes. And it comes on a phone. If you want to get the art on a phone, you can do that too. And this is on, what is this? carbut animations, creatorspring.com. So there's that. And Rex posted another challenge rift. This one is challenge rift 244 North America guide on Reddit. And you can go check that out on Reddit. And again, everything I talked about today is going to be in the show notes with a link to it. So you can check it out if you want to. You can skip over the stuff that you feel like you've heard enough about. And that's going to be it for today's episode. So I'm going to close out the show now. You have been listening to episode 348 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com Come join us in game. Our in-game community and clan, for sure on Diablo 3, is named Shattered Soulstone and are open to anyone who would like to join. The Discord is also named Shattered Soulstone and you can join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.